electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the polarizing software company that's waded into politics, Palantir and its co-founder and CEO, Alex Karp. We've been very focused on what we've called the software war between America and its adversaries. This is much more like what we saw in World War II, where one country develops a nuclear bomb and they set the rules. That big interview, Elon Musk's feud with Jamie Dimon, and Fed Chair Jay Powell gets another nod. Oh, my knee just jerked. Ow, it hurt. I hit it, actually, on the uh, on the desk. Yeah, there are some knee-jerk reactions from both sides. Plus, Elizabeth Holmes on the stand, CNBC's Scott Cohn. If all that she did was she kind of glossed over the negative test results, that is not a crime. Failure is not a crime. It's what she told her investors. That's the heart of the government's case. It's Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, Fed Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, accompanied by Chair Jerome Powell and Governor Leo Bernard. President Biden has nominated current Fed Chair Jay Powell for a second term, and he's nominated Leo Brainerd as vice chair. In times like these, we need steady, tested, principal leadership of the Fed. We need people with sound judgment and proven courage to preserve the independence of the Fed. And we need people of character and integrity who can be trusted to keep their focus on the right long-term goals of our country, for our country. And I'm confident Jay and Lail are those people. Powell is getting support from both sides of the aisle, including the top Republican and the top Democrat on the Senate Banking Committee. That's the group that will eventually need to confirm him. But not everyone's thrilled. Senator Elizabeth Warren, for example, says Powell has failed on regulation, climate, and ethics. Here she is last month. As others kept saying, oh, each individual action was modest, didn't get a headline, but they all kept tilting in the same direction. And reappointing someone for another five-year term who always tilts in the same direction, that's what he's demonstrated, I believe poses a danger to our economy. And that's why I oppose him for renomination. So clearly it might be uphill from here for Powell. His job to this point has not been easy. The pandemic prompted the Fed under his leadership to pull out all of the economic tools at its disposal, an unprecedented set of measures to buoy our financial system due to great fear. And in part, because of those unprecedented measures, his job won't get any easier. There's pressure to ease the pandemic policies, the infamous taper, plus inflation sits at a 31-year high with no clear end in sight. In fact, the Wall Street Journal featured an op-ed from its editorial board today, and the headline, Biden signs up for Powell's inflation. It was big news on Wall Street and Main Street. Here's Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin breaking down all the implications. Journal, interesting piece this morning on uh, on Jay Powell that neither one uh, deserved renomination. They're very inflation-centric, obviously. 
at the journal. But all I'll say is, um, you know, during the pandemic, you needed to be accommodative. It's it's easy to be a generous Fed chair, much much tougher uh, if you need to do some hard things that could affect employment. If you if inflation gets out of hand and you have to make some decisions that put people out of work like Volcker or uh, well, and I'm not I don't know whether that's right. coming or not, True. but it's much easier on this side. And, and the the, the oh, final chapter on Jay Powell's tenure is not written yet. Although uh, Jay Powell was moving to try and tighten things before the pandemic hit. Uh, he, he kind right. of had put to that position. A lot of people think he didn't raise rates sooner at this point because he was had to be up for renomination. So I, yeah. if the journal's take was neither of them deserved it, I, I don't know what they were going to think if, if, if Jay Powell didn't get it, because they are not going to get someone who is more right. hawkish than Jay Powell at this point. They're just not. But can we be honest? That journal piece was crazy because... They, for the past two weeks, they've been screaming they how Powell. it has to be yeah. Powell, how it yeah, can't right. be Lael Brainerd, it can't be Lael Brainerd, it has to be Powell. Now it's Powell. Actually, it can't be Powell either. Right. right. I mean, I, come on. No, no, no. I read the piece and I go, you know, I resemble this piece. Uh, <laughs> this, uh, I'm going to sue myself for definition of character. I was like, I, I, I admit, you're right. I, I thought of that and said, OK, now I'm going to start complaining about Powell. I've been complaining about Brainerd <laughs> and now I'm going to start. I, I, I did think that. I, I really did as a mea culpa. But... Um, my problem is, I, I do think, and you're gonna, I know I'm going to hear from you, Andrew, because everybody spends money in Washington, but the, what, the way we're spending money now, I think, is being enabled. It has been enabled uh, by Jay Powell, and I think we'll continue to, uh, to enable it. And, and whether you like that or not, um, it's something that both sides are going to stake out their arguments. And it's, you know, I'm, oh, my knee just jerked. Ow, it hurt. I hit it actually on the uh, on the desk. Yeah, there are some knee jerk. -jerk reaction. Yeah. yeah, there are some knee jerk reactions from from both sides. Tesla has now hired a former SEC and DOJ lawyer, David Misler, as its new managing counsel. It's according to Misler's LinkedIn profile. Now, Elon Musk's company, is, of course, has now had some well publicized run ins with the SEC, including over all of those uh, tweets from Mr. Musk. The other story on Tesla grabbing a lot of attention, though, over the last 24 hours was this one. The Wall Street Journal going behind the scenes of what's now become a long-running feud between Elon Musk and J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. The paper says the two men have tried to patch things up but clashed instead. Last week, J.P. Morgan sued Tesla, saying the automaker owes that bank $162 million from a trade that the firm helped arrange back in 2014. Musk responding in only the way Musk would to the Wall Street Journal, saying, quote, if JPM doesn't withdraw their lawsuit, I will give them a one-star review on Yelp. This is my final warning. According to public records, J.P. Morgan hasn't worked on any Tesla offerings or transactions since 2016, guys. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Who gets away with these kind of these well, kind of statements? If you read if the, the details on it, if the company wasn't worth a trillion dollars, wouldn't you be laughing? If you read the details <laughs> on it, it sounded like it was a pretty much a slam dunk for J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan had this contract where they had warrants that were issued that they could reprice if the company was put up for sale. Musk himself, when I read this, I'm like, oh, hoist by his own petard. He tweeted that they were going to take it public. So J.P. Morgan at that point repriced it. When they didn't do it, they then later raised the strike price but not to back back to where it was. And that's what they're fighting right. over. But, you know, again, by his own admission, by his own tweet, <laughs> this was the case. Right. Normally, banks would banks would be hesitant to to to, to 
to poke the bear, though. I mean, the biggest car company in the United States because and they're they never going to do business. business but if you're, not, if you're not going to get business anyway, and I think that was the case, they hadn't been getting more business from Why them. Why does so the I Biden administration was... never include Tesla in any talk about EVs? Do you understand that? Although it's, it's so easy to understand. Yeah. And it's, it's all union. UAW all day long. Oh, that's, that's, that's mean. That's all it is. It's union and that's it's also, it you know, they, they have a contentious they relationship. They can't do with that. Can they? Can they really? Do whatever they want. Governments pick winners and losers all the time. Have you not read this last bill? This last bill basically says if you're if you're a UAW automaker, we are going to subsidize you if you're not. And it's not just Tesla that they're picking on in that. It's it's Toyota, which has a lot of plants in the United States that are not union. But how does the administration with a straight face say we're leading the charge on EVs and not invite Tesla? It's just like it's the elephant in the room. Do they? By the way, Tesla's done pretty well with its government subsidies over the years. So, it's done well between the state and the federal subsidies that they've made over the years. Government's in bed with Tesla. Why not admit it and and bring them into the White House? You can't. It's very strange. It's for for two political parties that are trying to to pretend to the American public that these things don't matter. I mean, it it, it all comes down to what you think about each side. And we're not going to get anywhere. I had a conversation with somebody who's very close to this situation who has explained to me that the administration's view, it's actually twofold. One is the UAW, but the other is if you could advantage, frankly, the other automakers against Tesla, they believe that's better for competition long term. That actually, I mean, and this becomes, but this is when you start picking the winners and losers and trying to control the market. But but their view right now is the Tesla is so far ahead yeah. that you almost need to lift up these other folks. I'm not saying and again, it's the right by the way, answer. so far ahead because of the government subsidies they have received along the way. So you know, to, you know, I can understand being upset well, that you're those, not getting some of these subsidies, subsidies now. Were, those government subsidies were available across the board to every automaker if they exactly. wanted to take them. And you they have to Tesla took a much people... bigger share of them because they were out there first and foremost. I mean, that's, yeah, because right. they got a car that people want with it has software that no one's close Especially to. Especially if you can get it for $20,000 off. I mean, it's... You can't, you know, the government, okay. And, and by the way, California was responsible for a lot of those individually, too. We don't want you buying this beautiful Model S. We want you buying this bolt that can explode oh, I, in the flames I, parked I, I outside your house. Just point, don't park it near your Is it the winners bolt or the bolt? This is a surprise. Is it the bolt or the vault? Which one, you can't, you park near your house. <laughs> I don't park I near a big... If the you're bolt, celebrating Thanksgiving yeah. with them haystacks, don't park it near there either because the whole neighborhood's going up. Um, it's fair, it's with, a fair point. It's... Nobody else competes. But if you want to compete, compete. I don't they know will. how far. They will, but I'm, I'm just saying I think there's a, a, there's a lot of different views. I mean, that cut have off the government to subsidies to everybody and let's see how they do. Wow. Well, no, is, and, and, but then, and then there's a view that you. that would lock in effectively the success that Tesla has, had, had, has had relative to everybody else. Again, do you want that? Do you not? I'm just saying, these are, I think, some of the component parts of this. And I don't think that's a mean tweet, Andrew. I'll give you a one on Yelp. That's like No, that was kind of funny. That's kid kidding around. Uh, I'm just saying, in what universe could any other CEO in America... Put out these tweets. Put he out. Smokes these smokes reefer on on camera. He said. He tells. He goes. I, he just says to Bernie Sanders. I thought you were already dead. I mean, he says Wait, crazy stuff is, all the time. All I'm saying is, if the company was worth, look, the company's worth a trillion dollars or whatever it is, he can say these things. If the company was worth fifty billion dollars, we would not be. I think he'd do it he's been saying way. this stuff all the way along. So this is not a new. Yeah, I think he'd say it. Like, I think he'd say it either way. I think this is him. I think this is just him. And because he is so incredibly. 
intelligent and I think so innovative. A, I think he gets away with a lot. Because of the success. I, I love him now. You lost him it. on the flamethrower. I love him. Now I love him. It's disfigured. I, I, I don't like some <laughs> of the tweets I, he's put he out hasn't recently. Lost me. I'm just saying some of He hasn't yeah. lost you. You go constantly on the other side of things with me now. I'm, you I can admire him. him. You can admire the cars. You can like what the, what the company has done. No, I, I, and you, like and you don't have to package. agree with everything that comes off of his Twitter feed. I mean, I Saturday do. Night Live, I did appreciate what he right. came out with I on Saturday Night Live package. and coming clean about being different and, and, and thinking differently. I appreciate yes, that. But Becky, there are still yes. some sophomoric t- tweets that have yes. come out recently, including the Texas Instrument or Texas yeah. Institute of whatever it was. Yeah. That I was like, come on. Sorkin. Go, Elon. Next on Squawk Pod, hugely influential and hugely controversial software company Palantir, data power, global politics, and some politics closer to home with founder and CEO Alex Karp. I think people leaving will help California quite a bit. California needs competition. We left because it became a monoculture politically. That and much more right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew, Q. It has been just over a year since Palantir made its public market debut through a direct listing. Palantir, which makes software and analytical tools for companies in the government, has reached profitability and seen its commercial business more than double in the past year. But shares are uh, down more than 10 percent in 2021 after rising about 188 percent. Joining us right now in a rare inter- exclusive interview uh, is Palantir CEO Alex Karp. Alex, it is great to see you. Uh, it has been a year and what a year it has been. Uh, government revenue up 34% a year over year. Q3, I'm looking here, I'm looking at uh, commercial customers up 135%. Um, when we talked, when, when you did the listing, do you think that this was, was in the offing? Well, I guess important to, would be to ask if anyone else thought it was in the offing. Um, uh, I, I think we've had a, you know, a, a rare successful history at Palantir. Uh, we began almost two decades ago with the idea of providing p- software platforms to the U.S. government's allies. We are very aligned with our customers and with our owners. Uh, we are building products that we have come to see are at least five years. In the case of our anti-terror products, Foundry, uh, maybe a decade ahead, where we're, we've built and are, will be delivering new products to the market. Uh, we have a lot to be grateful for, and I'm quite happy to be here right before Thanksgiving. Um, we're grateful for our success. We're grateful for many of the things we've been involved in, including 
disseminating the COVID vaccine to every American, everyone in England. Uh, the, probably the dissemination of, of the vaccine, the vaccine itself has saved hundreds of thousands of lives in America. We were involved in uh, helping in Afghanistan of late. And, um, and of course, uh, we're quite content with the fact that our results are being seen by the world and we're planning to deliver more results. Alex, um, you stand to benefit, uh, Palantir stands to benefit as a result of this infrastructure bill. Um, also, potentially, this Build Back Better bill in terms of some of the climate uh, components of it. Are you an advocate of both? Um, well, definitely on climate. I mean, you know, it's, it's the first of all, obviously, in general, uh, macro trends are macro trends that we thought would happen with some surprises. But the, the what in climate, it basically helping people to understand at a granular level the exact carbon f- footprint they're carrying in a way that's transparent is similar, structurally similar to what we've been doing in the anti-terror context in the sense that you have to granularly track things, uh, variables that are across large data sets that are very hard to track and have to be done in a way that's transparent so that third-party, non-technical people can understand what you're doing. And that's obviously something that, you know, Palantir, our products were built to do. We have a lot of experience in, in, in industries that are creating a carbon footprint and we're I think well ahead on, on on product developments that will be critical in that in that area. In general, uh, Palantir, we benefit uh, when uh, societies or institutions focus on a problem, um, and we've seen that in the anti-terror context and other context, climate context. We don't, we're not inherently directly correlated as many people think to elections or particular spending. Our job is to deliver the world's best products to our clients in full alignment with them. And then their job is to evaluate it and then buy it. And so obviously there'll be a lot of opportunities for us. But primarily, I think we will benefit from the fact that we've been looking at data, data integration issues, issues that in, in fact are eating the whole world. Uh, we've been involved in these for over two decades, and we believe we have ideas and ways of developing software and software products that are just significantly ahead of other people and that we will benefit right. and our Alex, clients will me, benefit. Let, even let me more. ask you this. Over the last 20 years, uh, the the enemy, if you will, for the U.S. and its allies, which you have helped with, uh, has been terrorism, anti-terrorism uh, in particular. Increasingly, the conversation has moved away from terrorism and the Middle East and more towards China. Uh, what do you think about that and what role do you think you have to play in it? Well, the public discussion has moved uh, recently but as you know from our many conversations, we've been very focused on uh, the, what we've called the, you know, um, the software war between America and its adversaries, where we believe, and as a company we've been saying for over a decade, this is not a, this is not a conflict that's linear. So it's not like other conflicts where one, comp- where one country has a slightly better plane than another, another country has a slightly better boat than another. This is much more like what we saw in World War II, where one country develops a, a, a nuclear bomb and they set the rules. And we've been saying this in public, in, in policy circles for well over a decade. And because we've been saying it in public, we've been very focused on this in private for well over a decade. And a lot of the development uh, on Palantir on the software end doesn't see the public eye for obvious reasons. But we've been very focused on what's generically called uh, AI in the, in the conflict or war setting for, for a, a long time, building on innovations we'd already built, the ways in which we work with data in bulk, and then data at the edge. And so you, as part of this conflict, our basic thesis was this is a winner-take-all conflict. 
U.S. and its allies must have the best software in the world. We battled with Silicon Valley about this. Silicon Valley, I think, has changed somewhat. Um, but we were well ahead of telling people externally, this is something we need full alignment on. And obviously, internally, we occasionally listen to ourselves, and we've built um, what we believe are highly differentiated products, both on bulk data sets uh, using machine learning and next-generation AI in a war setting. Alex, and there, also, I was just going to say, you, you've been, though, very critical of other Silicon Valley companies that have stayed in China. Uh, a number of Silicon Valleys have left China. But what do you think of those that are stu still doing business in China? The biggest, the biggest, of course, is Apple. You know, I, I, we believe at Palantir in full disclosure. If a company wants to work in an adversarial country, I'm not, I just think they should work, it and work there and defend it. You know, at Palantir, we have our views. Many times those views have been very controversial. We picked up and moved to Denver because our views were too controversial in, in Silicon Valley. We are an international business. We defend the U.S. government. We defend Western governments all over the world. We have a massive business all over Europe. We have a massive business in the Middle East. We, we have certain values we stand by. If you want to work in China or in any other country that is adversarial or not adversarial to America, you should disclose it and defend it. Our view, though, is slightly different. You should work wherever you can ethically justify internally and externally. However, if you do not work with the U.S. government, you should disclose why you're not working with the U.S. government and why you're working with other governments that are adversarial to the U.S. government. And that's been our position. We, of course, at Palantir, are very proud to uh, develop products that make the Western world stronger. And we hope that those products put us in a position where we decide what the ethics of the world will be. We, America and its allies, not just in America, uh, and therefore influence the world in a positive way. Alex, you have left Denver. A number, I mean, you have left Denver. You've left California to go to Denver. A number of big companies, including Tesla, have now uh, moved their headquarters to Austin. Long term, what do you think happens to California? And what do you think is happening in terms of this larger trend? Well, I, I mean, honestly, I think people leaving will help California quite a bit because in, in reality, California has a lot of advantages for building tech. And America is still the strongest tech nation in the world, certainly if it comes to software, enterprise software, technology broadly defined. But California needs competition. Like, and by the way, we didn't leave primarily for economic reasons. We left because it became a monoculture politically. I mean, I happen to be progressive, but we, need a, we believe in a culture where everyone gets to have an opinion and where people get to defend their opinion. I think this will help California quite a bit long term. Short term, it's a huge problem. Um, I wanted to ask you about the stock, uh, which, of course, has done uh, quite remarkably. But, but I want to read you something and, and get, you, get your feedback on it. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a, an analyst who wrote the following. Uh, on one hand, Palantir exceeds its own growth estimates, expanding its contractually secured revenues rapidly. Further, the business model is highly scalable, resulting in significant margins. On the other, bears are not wrong to criticize Palantir's cash-burning problem and excessive stock-based compensation, which keeps diluting shareholders to oblivion. You know, let me tell you a story of Palantir that it will answer your question. So not the typical obfuscation you're used to from corporate executives. When we went to, when we went to Silicon Valley and said, we are going to build uh, software platforms for the U.S. government, they said, why would you build something for the U.S. government? It's hard to work with government and data is worthless. By the way, they literally said, why would you focus on data protection? No one will believe the product will work. Uh, and by the way, something that is fully aligned with your clients is just not smart. You should turn your clients into a product and monetize them. We rejected that advice, and then we went to the U.S. government, and they told us, build your product in the way we want, i.e. a PowerPoint, for the PowerPoint developed by someone who was not technical for something that was necessary in the 70s. We didn't do that. We built a number of products that are now in the market that are winning in the market. 
To do that, we've hired the best and most interesting and eclectic people in the world. They work at Palantir. They work at Palantir for lots of reasons, but they're very fairly comped. And we, continue, we will continue to develop uh, these products and continue to comp people. And we are very, very focused on being fully aligned with our clients and fully aligned with people who own our stock. What does that mean in the real world? It means that we will continue to be very focused on delivering value. We will continue to comp people. And I don't believe we're deluding people into oblivion. I thought it was pretty interesting, by the way, about the analysts, many of whom are highly substantive and you know, attuned to our product is de facto they're saying what the generals used to say to us, build the product we can understand and then we'll reward you with capital. We're building the product our clients need and the world needs. And we believe over time, and we've already seen this, the world will reward us and will reward our shareholders. And that's, that's basically our view. Alex Karp, uh, it is great to see you. Uh, it's been a great success story. And we look forward to following your progress and we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I wish you a happy Thanksgiving as well. Thanks, Alex. Cheese will be next. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes taking the stand in her own defense. Covering that trial is our own Scott Cohn. Next on Squawk Pod. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod, and here's Becky Quick. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes is going to be back on the witness stand in her criminal trial, telling jurors how much she believed in her blood testing technology that prosecutors say was a fraud. This is her third day on the stand, and Scott Cohn is in San Jose to tell us what we can expect today. Hi, Scott. Hi, Becky. It's it's her first full day on the witness stand today. She was on the stand for about an hour on Friday and just about two hours yesterday. Remember that a key to her, her defense against the 11 fraud and conspiracy counts that she faces is that she never intentionally deceived anyone. And that's what the testimony has been about thus far. Under friendly questioning from her defense attorney, Kevin Downey, She talked yesterday about Theranos' early successes, how they seemed to manage to miniaturize an automated blood testing uh, system. She said that was a really big idea. And about the work that they were doing uh, on on monitoring the progress of a drug in a patient's bloodstream, in looking for disease markers from tiny samples. And they were working on these things, she said, with some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies. Now, contrast that to the government's case over 11 weeks, where they had Theranos insiders, pharma executives, and others saying that Elizabeth Holmes glossed over problems and lied to investors. 
Well, the defense says that Elizabeth Holmes was a true believer in her company and the technology until the bitter end. Ms. Holmes, in retrospect, do you think that you spent a little too much time at Theranos dwelling on the positive things that you testified about today and not enough tending to the problems? Now, be clear, if she had just done that, uh, emphasized the positive and, and de-emphasized the negative, that would not be a crime. And that is another key to the defense here, that failure is not a crime. The government is going to try and question her about whether she did, in fact, lie to investors about what was going on at Theranos. But it looks like they're not going to get a chance to do that until next week. Uh, she will be on this, the stand today all day for direct testimony. Then it's the holiday weekend. There's no court tomorrow. So the hope among the defense appears to be that the jurors will be left with uh, an impression of Elizabeth Holmes, earnest, a believer in her company, never intended to lie to anyone. Guys? But at some point, they will get to cross-examine her. And it's that last effort that will be left for the final thing the jurors are thinking about before they go in. I mean, the question has to become, you thought this worked, but the results showed otherwise. Did you not see those test results? Was there not a moment when you questioned some of these things? It just seems like it leaves her pretty open on the cross-exam. Yeah, but, but remember, again, if all that she did was she kind of glossed over the negative test results, maybe she saw things and didn't do anything about them, that is not a crime. Failure is not a crime. It's what she told her investors, what she told patients and doctors. That's the heart of the government's case. And she's going to have a lot of tough questions to answer. You're absolutely right when the prosecutors uh, get their chance next week. Scott, thank you. Good luck today. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you download podcasts. And if you've been listening for a while and think other people should listen too, you can rate and review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts right on your phone. That helps other podcast fans discover us. Thank you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.